You're listening to the Electronic Media Collective Podcast Network. Yeah, it's a mouthful. For more great shows like the one you're about to enjoy, visit electronicmediacollective.com. And now, our feature presentation. In a world where film studios have pillaged every young adult novel, DC'd every comic book series, and Frankenstein every silver screen monster in search of the next movie mega franchise. Two nerds. Two movies. One cinematic universe. This is Randall. Welcome to the Grolic Cinematic Universe, a podcast in which we watch and review two movies and then pitch a shared cinematic universe. In this episode, we're going to take a step farther. We're we're gonna mash together more than just movies. We're gonna mash together a couple of podcasts, and so I'm joined by Austin and Travis, and we are a part of Trash Talk Podcast. We watch movies, TV shows, read comic books, and play video games, and we review it on Trash Talk Podcast. And we're here to talk about two cool movies with your podcast, Randall. Yeah, no, this is great. I'm super excited for this. I enjoy your guys' show. I realized after we agreed on these movies that, man, we probably should have done, like, more fun movies. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. I really love Green Room. I find it fun, but a little bit on the gory side. Oh, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah, so this episode we're going to discuss Blue Ruin and Green Room, which are – I usually try to do, like, a thematic double feature. There's some ties between them. And beyond just the the color titles – there's actually a lot that ties these movies together, namely the writer and director, but also thematically, there's a lot of similar stuff going on. Yeah, and also the main um, actor of Blue Ruin is a major character in Green Room. He, I believe his name Malcolm Breyer, he appears in most of his movies, or he actually helps a lot with the writing process, too. Another reason I was super excited to get to these movies, and we'll dive into the movies further momentarily, but... So I've been a fan of this director for a long time, having only ever seen his first movie. And it wasn't till this, uh, well, I guess technically I started last year. I finally got around to watching these two movies. We actually talked about his first movie, uh, Murder Party, which also has, is it Mount, is, it's spelled like Macon, which is such a strange name to me. Yeah, I'm going to look him up right now. Uh, yeah, Murder Party is the first movie of uh, them Jeremy uh, Saliner is the director and writer, mm-hmm. and Mackin, yeah, Mackin Blair. Oh, wow, I totally did not remember his actual name. But it's strange. he is it's a, kind of a an unusual collaborator one. in terms of acting with him and also sometimes helping write in. He didn't mm-hmm. write Blue Ruin or Green Room, but for Hold the Dark, which a director of these two movies directed for Netflix, he actually wrote the screenplay for. And Mac and Blair, he recently, and I definitely recommend people watch, um, I Don't Feel at Home in This uh, World Anymore, which is on Netflix. Elijah Wood is in it, and he wrote and directed that movie, and it's terrific. What? He wrote? I did not realize that. Yeah, it was. Oh, my God. Okay. with the Sundance. It did very well. Uh, yeah, 89% of Rotten Tomatoes wrote and directed it, and I don't think he acts in it. No, he does. No, he plays Bar Dude. Okay, so not really. But yeah, Elijah Wood is in it. It's a great movie. 
Yeah, that's awesome. I didn't know I didn't know that was his film. That's fantastic. Yeah, so since Murder Party, I've been a big fan of this director, even though I hadn't seen most of his, you know, any of his other films just based on Murder Party and actually earlier this season we covered Murder Party on our Halloween episode. So, uh we'll have hit most of this guy's filmography on this season of the podcast. Yeah. I need to see Murder Party. I haven't seen that one yet. The themes are very much the same. The tone is very different. So don't expect these movies when you go to watch Murder Party. Huh. Interesting. Before we jump into reviewing these two movies, we're going to play a game of real news and fake news, which is what we do on Trash Talk Podcast. I subject Travis to four pieces of real news, except one of those is actually false. We usually what we do, we do ridiculous piece of news around Hollywood uh, related to movies or TV shows. This episode, we're doing it based on trivia on these two movies, Blue Ruin and Green Room. Which means this is going to be the best one ever because I know there's going to be nothing about Disney in here. Yeah, a constant theme in our show is I subject Travis to constant every week. Disney news of them rebooting things, buying things and taking them over. Live action adaptations of their work they're planning on doing in the future. And yeah, he hates that. So you that's that's kind of brilliant, though, because if you wait long enough on a lot of the fake news stories, they'll probably eventually be real. Yeah, they'll, they'll listen to our podcast and then it'll just become fact at that point. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Normally, I break down one at a time. This time, I'm going to break down all four. And afterwards, you guys are going to have to tell me which one's the fake news or fake trivia, I guess. All right. So two of these are related to Blue Ruin. Two of these are related to Green Room. And afterwards... You guys got to tell me, which one's a fake one? All right, number one, we're doing Blue Ruin because it came out first. The reason the Pontiac has bullet holes in it at the beginning of the movie, when you see him driving around it, there's bullet holes in the back. The director said is because it's the same car that Dwight's parents were murdered in by Big Wade. Number two, Blue Ruin is not a reference to the blue and ruined Pontiac, but to the main character's eyes eye colors. Three, now we're going to the green room. Sir Patrick Stewart, who plays like the leader of the neo-Nazis, said in an interview that when he finished reading the script in his country home of England, he was so terrified that he locked up his house, turned on the security system, poured himself some scotch, and then he knew that he wanted to play that character because it was so horrifying it would be a hard thing for him to do. And our fourth one, is that the main characters in Green Room, uh, their singers are part of a punk rock band, and they did not actually bring in other characters or actors to voice them. They actually played that music. They dubbed it for the movie, but they actually recorded in the studio and mm. sang it. So they were pretty much, they compiled together to make a band just by these actors who weren't, they didn't come from a music background, but they knew enough to make the music for the movie. All right. One through four, quick recap. The Pontiac has bullets in it because that was the car <coughs> that his parents were killed in. Blue Ruin is now reference to his car, but to its eyes. Patrick Stewart poured himself some scotch, locked in himself in his house, and for all the actors actually played the music for the movie. Travis which one's the fake news and why? I think recap on why the other ones would be real, maybe. 
I think I'm going to go with number two on this one, because I don't know if you'd based a whole movie just based off somebody's eyes. That's, okay. that's a long shot for me right there. Um, and honestly, like the car would make sense. Cause he does is actually one of the focal points, surprisingly of the entire movie. Cause they use it so often. I like the bullet hole story, even though that does seem a little bit far fetched. Cause you wouldn't think he'd want to live in the car that his parents were killed in. Like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's a bit weird. I really hope, even though I'd feel bad, I really hope the Patrick Stewart one's real. Cause that sounds kind of cool, but pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. Who's like, that's the reason I wanted to do this. Cause I was so terrified. That's awesome. And the last one, I mean, it's a possibility because actors have a lot of talent in them. So I'm, I'm pretty sure they could pull together Makes sense. enough music to actually make that exist. All right. Randall, which one's a fake news and why? Okay. I got to tackle these out of order. Green room. Um, the Patrick Stewart one, that one sounds like the fake story, but it also, uh, you know, Patrick Stewart, he, he's an actor and that's a very dramatic thing to say. I could buy it. I, I see that as being real. What was the fourth, fourth one? All the actors in the movie actually oh, played playing the music. the music. Okay. I'm going to hold on to that one for a second. And then blue ruin, the, the bullet holes in the car from the parents murder. I kind of assume that's what it was. So I'm going to say that one's true. And then the blue ruin is a reference to his eyes. That one's fake. I'm going to say that one's fake. I could be wrong, but, uh, that, that seems like a valid thing to like, well, that's what the title actually comes from. You know, it's kind of artsy. I could see that as being like somebody's excuse. I don't remember him having blue eyes and he might, but I don't think he does. Actually, I believe he's got brown eyes if I remember correctly. So I'm going to say that's the fake one. All right. And the fake piece of news is I'm already cracking up. Uh yeah, no, you guys are right. <laughs> it's not his eyes. Oh, oh. I should have bothered to see what his color of his eyes actually was in the movie. Yeah, but, you definitely should have, because they were brown. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you guys got it. It's actually been a very long time on our podcast, at least, that both contestants have nailed it. Yeah, how's that, Travis? Yeah, I do believe so, actually. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh Randall, you ready to jump into these movies? Yes, yes. Okay, so uh, I'll follow your lead. Let's start with Blue Ruin since it's older. Blue Ruin from 2013, as we said earlier, written and directed, and actually a cinematography as well by Jeremy uh, Solner, starring Mackin or Macon Blair, Devin Rattray. I'm I'm the worst with names. I don't know why I'm insisting on doing the names, but uh, Amy Hargreaves, Kevin Kolak, and other people. Quick overview from themoviedb.org. When the quiet life of a beach bum is upended by dreadful news, he sets off for his childhood home to carry out an act of vengeance. However, he proves an inept assassin and finds himself in a brutal fight to protect his estranged family. Yes, so the odd way that I always start every review is uh, asking you guys, had you ever heard of this and uh, what what are your initial impressions? So I have heard of this. Um, I was a massive fan of Green Room as soon as I saw it. I looked into the director's other work, and just a poster for Blue Ruin is incredible. And I just, I don't know, I just put it off. It was on Netflix for a while, and I only noticed it until, yeah, no, when you brought it up and you told me it was on Netflix, and then I decided to watch it for the podcast. So I have heard of it before, but this was the first time watching Blue Ruin for me. I've never heard of either of these before. 
but seeing their posters when I got like started looking through Facebook and saw their cover photo poster things, yeah, I was like, oh wow, I'm surprised I've never seen them. Like they look kind of interesting and kind of cool, and it made me want to watch it. So, but yeah. I had never heard of them before. Makes sense. Yeah, I as I mentioned earlier, I was a big fan of the director from his first movie, uh, Murder Party, um, which I talked a bit about in maybe the second episode this season of uh, GCU, and. Basically, that was kind of a lower-budget movie that flew under the radar. Not a lot of people are aware of it. It's kind of an acquired taste movie. But he kind of fell off of my radar. I, I didn't, I hadn't heard of any of his other work until Green Room come out. And they're like, oh, it's by the guy that did Blue Ruin. I'm like, I don't know what that is. And Murder Party, I'm like, wait, who, what? But I just never got around to watching it till literally the other day. Um, and then Green Room, we'll talk more about that later. But uh, yeah, so it was something that, I probably should have watched like five years ago, but uh, finally got around to it. My initial impressions, I like it. It's going to be hard for me not to reference Murder Party a little bit, but all three of the his first three movies have very similar themes. It's basically a revenge crime thriller thing, but I like the idea of a revenge thriller where your main character, he is inept. He's just a, like, he's a schlubby guy and... He doesn't do things very well, and that leads to more complications. So, yeah, I don't know. What'd you guys? What'd you guys think of this? This movie, Blue Ruin, it's kind of interesting because Murder Party, he found some success with it, even though it's very low budget uh, mm-hmm. for a movie at around two hundred thousand uh, dollars. Blue Ruin, he didn't actually get a studio to back him on it. He actually kickstarted the whole thing for about half a million dollars, which is very impressive. Mm-hmm. And after the success of Blue Ruin, which I want to say is like 98 in Ron Tomatoes. Yeah, 96. Uh, Green Room, he was able to get $5 million for. And apparently he said that a bunch of studios came to him with much bigger projects, but he decided it, he was in the right place in his career to do Green Room, but we'll talk about that later. Uh, for Blue Ruin, I really love the cinematography. For only half a million dollars, it looks incredible. Uh, Color-wise, especially with the themes of blue, uh, Green Room, of course, has themes of green throughout it, but the blue in this looks really, really good, and just color palette cinematography is terrific. And I... I'm going to say I like the movie on the Trash Talk podcast rating of bad, okay, good, great, and Kino. I'm going to give it a good, but it's a little bit on the slow side, even though it's only 90 minutes long. And uh, you could call that a slow burner, or I don't know. I just feel like there wasn't enough in it for me, but I respect it for being a low-budget revenge movie. I think <clears throat> it's a pretty solid movie, especially for your second directoral debut i guess um so yeah i think it's pretty solid but it's not my favorite so a couple things about it i like the choice of vehicles like the the variety of vehicles the selection i love that the selection of weapons was pretty good um they had some interesting choices in there and like the locations as you said the cinematography and locations were really nice yeah it was the story for me i wasn't really drawn in i guess it seemed to me like there was a lot of build-up to him going to kill this uh his the get family. his revenge well yeah. just start with the brother but then wind up over time killing the entire family but there was a lot of build up to it and then at the end i just i didn't feel there was quite enough payoff i guess yeah so travis question for you there's a payoff at the end of blue ruin yeah and 
There's also a payoff at the end of Green Room. Yes. Green Room has a lot more action, but that's because it's more of an action-based movie. But I'm talking about the very end when at least two of the characters confront Patrick Stewart at the end. And both for payoff scenes are on the shorter side. Are both of these underwhelming for you, or did Green Room do the payoff scene much better? I'll say I was still intrigued by the end of uh, Green Room, so I found it more... I I found the ending to be more satisfactory, I guess. As to where by the end of Blue Ruin, I guess, I wasn't as, like, enthralled. I wasn't connected as much. So when they got to the end, I was like, okay, everyone dies. Or, well, not everyone, but a few people die. I I almost didn't care. You cared about the characters in Green Room. A a bit more. Yeah. Before asking you, Randall, what you thought... Something I was telling you, Travis, before the podcast recording was, I like Blue Ruin. There's some really good suspenseful scenes in it, but it's around the same length of Green Room. Actually, there's only a two minute difference. Green Room is 100. It's an hour and 35 minutes, while Blue Ruin's an hour and 33 minutes. And for the basically same amount of time they have. There's so much more going on in Green Room that we'll get to later. But Blue Ruin for a slow build-up revenge thriller made on a low budget, I think it's a pretty solid movie. So I'll say it's good. I'm going to say it's a movie on this one for it's me. A movie. Okay. Randall, talk to us about your opinion on Blue Ruin. Oh, man. Okay, yeah. You guys brought up a lot of great points. Okay, so first off, this is 100% absolutely a slow burn movie. It is very slow paced. And I think... Oddly enough, a little bit like I think this movie appeals to me a bit more than Green Room. And part of it is the simplicity. And uh, you mentioned kind of like it builds up to, of course, full spoilers on both these movies, but it builds up to him killing this guy that just got let out of jail. It does spend a good portion of the movie building up to that. And then it happens. And you're just like, wait, that feels like the that should be the movie climax. And it's now it's done. Where's this going next? So there's a lot of like, I don't know, man. It's kind of a theme. He kind of builds your expectations up and then intentionally downplays the the resolution or kind of the line is such a cliche at this point, but uh, subverts your expectations. And to compare kind of the final conflict resolution of this movie versus uh, Green Room, I think Green Room, the overall like third act, it feels like a bigger kind of third act conflict. But I feel like the final resolution, the the Patrick Stewart versus the family in this, I feel like the Patrick Stewart is kind of more of a more downplayed and more of a letdown in terms of like, I don't know, catharsis. And we can talk about it more for within Green Room, but it's just like, oh, okay. Oh, it's done. And this movie at least feels like it's built up specifically after a certain point after you're past that first kill it's building up to this certain point specifically and it dedicates the whole final bit of the movie to this scene in the house and stuff but i kind of like the simplicity and the slow burn nature of this i mean he go <laughs> he goes to like hunt this people these people down in their ha- at their house and nobody's there and he so he just hangs out there for like 2 days and nothing happens and it's like what but it's all it's all tone and uh, building up anticipation, just to kind of jack with the viewer in how that antis- how that all that build up how that pays off kind of messes with the viewer. And what is for us 
a favorite scene from this movie. I know my favorite scene was when he catches the brother and he puts him on the back of the car and they basically exchange dialogue for a little bit until the brother takes the gun from him and then out of nowhere his buddy that he got this uh, machine gun from basically shoots the brother and kills him right before our main character is killed i thought that was a probably the most suspenseful scene and i don't know that was definitely my favorite scene in the movie randall what was the favorite scene for you from this movie Oh, just trying to think of what really sticks out most to me. Do you want Travis to go first? Yeah, go ahead. Come back to me. All right. So I've got two particular favorite scenes out of this whole movie. The first one is going to be just before he kidnaps the brother after he kills the first brother. It's when he's in his sister's house. And it almost gets that like kind of home alone vibe where he's like setting up, getting ready to attack him, turning on the water, almost like setting up traps, I guess. Yeah. That. That was kind of cool to me because, you know, he's just sitting there. He's ducking under the couch. He's hiding and he's got the pitchfork ready to stab somebody if he needs to. He's got like a jar of coins puts up against the door in case no, no, he breaks That's in. later on. Oh, it is? Oh. That's, that's when he breaks into the family's home. Oh, yeah. You're right. You're right. I'm anyway, drunk. a little bit. Uh, anyway, so the, that was like my first favorite scene. And then my second favorite scene. I mean, I guess it's probably going to be a bit weird, but it's when the light in the family's home that he breaks into first turns on. So he's sitting mm-hmm. behind the couch, he's got the gun by his side, and he's sleeping, and the light turns on, and he hears the click, and then he wakes up, and he just goes searching with the gun through the house, because he thinks the family's arrived while he's sleeping, but they're not there. It was just an automatic light switch, I believe. And that was my, probably overall, my absolute favorite scene was that one there, because it just it felt so suspenseful to me when he's walking around, and then absolutely nothing happens, and it's like, oh, that's kind of cool. Yeah. In an interesting way. No, I can agree with that. Randall, do you have a scene now? Yes, I do. Okay, so I'm going to go with the standout one that I think when I think back to this movie, I will, I'll remember first will be the final conflict. after the When the family does come home and he's hiding around the corner and you're like, what's going to happen? They're listening to his message on the answering machine. And he's just kind of like hiding in, in, hiding in the room around a corner, gauging their reaction to his message. And it becomes very clear that he's like, no, he's going to have to shoot people. And then, of course, his buddy earlier said, you know, when the time comes, don't get personal. Don't make any big speeches. Just do it. You make big speeches. That's when things go wrong. And, of course, he makes big speeches. And uh, I like that whole how that sequence plays out. And then another nod for after he throws the guy in the trunk and he's driving around for what seemed like two days with this guy in his trunk. I, I like that whole sequence just because you're like, what is he going to do with this? This guy's not dead. Like, what's he going to do with this guy in his trunk? So I liked how that portion played out, too. Makes sense. And using your podcast, Raiden, how would you uh, review this movie, Blue Ruin? Yeah, so my rating, we we do the, kind of the standard five-star, and that includes half-stars. And for this, this is a four-star movie for me. I think it's great. It's not like a five-star great, but a solid four-stars. It doesn't necessarily have the replayability that might elevate it more but i think it's a solid thriller that's fair uh anything else we should go over before moving on to green room and then afterwards pitching our cinematic universe with these two movies 
I do like the blue car that he uses at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And I was a little confused when he shaved and he didn't look like a homeless person. I had to go to Wikipedia to make sure I didn't miss something in the plot, like they're going back in time. But I kind of actually like that portion of the beginning movie that there's not really any dialogue. He's just a homeless guy walking around eating food and like oh, sleeping yeah. in this blue car. I actually like that part of the movie. The first third is could almost be I mean it's not there's sound and there's you know music but the first third could almost be a silent movie there's very little dialogue and the way exposition is handled in this I appreciate and it kind of we see that a little bit in green room too to where it's not it's not just necessarily spelt out you're just kind of thrown in the middle of this guy's life and the things that need to be filled in eventually get filled in but it doesn't make it the exposition's well handled. It's not clumsy. It's not just like most of the time you don't just get an exposition dump when it's convenient for the movie. It'll throw things at you where you're like, so what's going on with this guy? Like, why is he homeless? What's this? What's with the bullet holes? And eventually that gets filled in, but it doesn't feel like it needs to hold your hand through the story. And I appreciate that style of storytelling here. That's fair. Travis, any last words on Blue Ruin before we move on to Green Room? Uh, yeah, I I don't really? think I've got anything. Said everything you need to say. Yeah. All right, Randall, you ready to move on to Green Room? Yes, Green Room from 2016, uh, written and directed again by Jeremy Solner. Uh, this also has Macon in it, but he is not the lead. The lead is Anton Yelchin, Emogen Putz, I terrible with names, Aaliyah Shawkat, uh, Joe Cole, Callum Turner, and some other people. And uh, overview, a punk rock band becomes trapped in a secluded venue after finding a scene of violence. For what they saw, the bands themselves become targets of violence from a gang of white power skinheads who want to eliminate all evidence of the crime. Yeah, Green Room. Okay, so what did you guys know about this going into it and what are your initial thoughts? So I knew about this movie... When I saw it like a year or two ago, I just heard that it was a very good thriller movie that everyone should check out. At the time that I saw it, it was, yeah, you said this was 2016. Yeah, so I didn't see it that much longer after it actually came out. I couldn't see it in theaters because it did come to any near theaters near me. When it eventually came to Netflix, I checked out just based off what other people have said and that it was kind of like an underrated movie that not enough people saw. So I checked it out, knew very, like, next to nothing about it. It was blown away. And then recently I suggested it out of the blue because I saw it was back on Netflix again to you. And I watched it last night, and it met my expectations and the love I had for it from a couple years ago when I saw it. Uh, Using your rating, I would give it a 5 out of 5. Using our rating of bad it's a movie good great and kino i'm gonna give it kino i love green room just how they kind of throw you into the story with the punk rock band at the beginning of the movie you kind of think all right what's this story about it's just we're following these punk rock band as they're struggling to get across america and perform gigs and it goes just in a totally different direction and we're kind of hunkered down with them in a small room as they're trying to fight for survival and the lighting the green lighting is terrific cinematography is great the gore and the practical effects used for all like the blood scenes when people are getting attacked is outstanding for me to not ramble on too much I love Green Room. 
and I'll be <laughs> eager to hear what you guys say and talk a little bit more about it. Um, all right. So I do have a deep found respect for this movie. Like overall, I thoroughly enjoyed it. As far as the rating scales go, I'll give it a four out of five, which on our scale would be a great, I believe. Yes. Great. Yeah. No, it was, it kept me interacted with the movie. Like I was constantly, I was like, okay, what's going to happen next? I want to know just like right from the start, right from the very start of the movie, when you see their van and it's crashed into a cornfield and like all the lights are on and they're just all sitting there passed out. And I'm like, okay, you have me hooked. What happens next? From that moment on, I was like, okay, I, I'm sold. I just, I want to follow this along. And even though, as you said, it was kind of hard to understand where they were going maybe at the beginning. And then as you go deeper and deeper in the story, it just gets so deep of them basically almost going to war with these uh, skinhead neo-Nazi-ish type people. I guess it might be overall, maybe the payoff at the end could have been a little bit better, but I was still right up until the very end. I was very, very entertained and very enthralled with the movie. So. Randall, what did you think about Green Room? Okay, so yeah, like I said, this is, I had heard it was by the director of Murder Party around the time it came out. So I was like, oh, I really want to see this. And I heard nothing but good things, but I always heard, like, I heard it's great, it's great, but it's it's bothersome. It's very disturbing. And so it's gritty and, and uh, kind of upsetting. And I'm like, well, that doesn't sound very fun. So uh, I kind of put it off for a long time. It wasn't till a last uh, October, I think, this this last October, I finally watched it. Yeah, it's good. Everybody's right. It's great. It's super bothersome. The violence struck me in a way that I like, you know, I love horror movies. And that's kind of another thing, the genre debate. I love horror movies and I can handle violent movies. But the violence in this is a whole other level. And I think that's really why you had mentioned Green Room. And I was like, yeah, Green Room. Okay, yeah, let's do that. That still totally fits, I I feel, fits this season of GCU, this season we've been doing horror movies. And I think it's debatable. I mean, plot-wise, this is much more crime thriller type area. But the scenario and the way it makes you feel, I think this dives heavy into horror territory. And I'd be kind of interested to hear your guys' thoughts on that. I would, yeah, I would argue that this movie is very much a slasher film. Ooh, that's that's an interesting point, yeah. Yeah, and slasher films are horror movies. It's a slasher film like uh, The Guest is mm -hmm. also a slasher film. Um, and they're not labeled as such, but in themes and, I don't know, story structure, I would say they're heavily like that. It's not so much one, like, immortal monster coming after them, unless you kind of, like, I don't know, represent as a whole neo-Nazi group. But it's a bunch of kids that some of which get killed off pretty quickly, and they're up against something that is way stronger than them. And they're kind of locked down in an area, and they're trying to find they're trying to escape with their lives. So I would argue that this is a slasher film. And if someone said this was a horror thriller movie, I would say, yeah, that's fair, too. Uh, so I don't think you're wrong in putting this in your horror season mm -hmm. of your podcast. Yeah, no, easily slasher or crime th thriller or like a mix of both, I guess, would be the best way to put it. Yes, yeah. mm -hmm. I, I can agree with both those opinions. Yeah. And for me, this movie was just 
even in the beginning, I was intrigued. But once we get to the point, because we're kind of in this spoiler territory, but people should definitely check this uh, movie out on Netflix if they haven't seen already. But when we get to the point that they open the door to go back into the room where they kind of went in to prepare for the music and they just see some new Nazis standing over a girl with a knife in her head, you go, oh, now we're going somewhere else. The table has turned and the movie goes into a whole other direction. Mm -hmm. And it's just, I don't know, for me, it was just so suspenseful, so intense. I was watching this movie with two other people yesterday, my sister and her boyfriend. And my sister couldn't stay throughout the whole movie because it was just too intense for her. And the gore was too much. But I would argue that the gore is done very well. It's not like some movies where it's just super over the top and just there for, I don't know, shock value, I guess. In this, it's kind of shock value, but it's like practical effects. And it looks very, very good. Very realistic. I, I think it's... And this is something that people kind of focus on with this movie, but I think it's fair because... The violence and the gore in this, I think it is there for shock, but it's not exploitative. I think it's there because it serves a very important purpose. Because, for example, when when the violence really breaks out in the movie is when uh, Anton Yelchin's character he puts his hand out through the door, right? And you know something bad is happening. Like, he starts screaming, and you don't know exactly what they're doing out there. You expect maybe he's going to pull back a stump. I think a lesser director would have him pull back a stump, but he pulls back. Like it's disgusting. Like it's really bothersome. You don't expect his arm to look the way it does when he pulls it back. And it's from like machete wounds and, um, just it's realistic, but super extreme at the same time. And that's kind of kicks off this whole little sequence of, I mean, it, the box cutter to the guy's gut using people as chew toys. Yeah. I can handle over the top gore, but this pushed it into kind of like nightmare territory It's like, wow. Okay. Okay. This is, this is extreme. It makes us feel for the characters. Cause it's almost like we're there. The whole time I was thinking, what would I do if I was locked in a room and on the other side, they're like, give us a gun and then we'll let you go. But you know if they're going to, and this gun's your only way out, but you mm -hmm. only got that one door to escape. The whole time I was like, what would I do? And it was kind of messed up when these characters started dying for me. Like Travis was saying, he wasn't super connected to Blue Ruin. I was way more connected to this because I really fell for the characters. I did want them to get out, and it made sense that some would die along the way, but I, I did actually feel bad for them. Travis, was there any gore or moments in this movie that was too much for you too hardcore for you as i mentioned before the dogs for me i love dogs yeah. I, I absolutely i love them to pieces and particularly your dog of yeah, course coda bear and when i just saw them being used to maul on people like chew their necks out i was like yeah. this is horrifying and disgusting and like i don't mind gore i mean as i told you i love the punisher and yeah whether it be daredevil or the tv show itself and there was plenty of gore in that. I could withstand any of that. And even that looked super realistic. Yeah. But for me, when it got to this, when it got to those two particular dog scenes, I was like, man, dude, I don't know if I can keep going. Yeah. When the one dog attacks and knocks back the guy with the green hair. Yeah. It's very quick, but instantly, like, he's on the ground and his neck is destroyed. And he's not dead either. There's something about the gore in this movie to where it's like, you watch other movies, most other movies, 
Uh, I mean, sometimes like a lot of horror movies that are having fun with it, it's super gory, but it's super over the top. But even other movies where it's supposed to be kind of realistic, this movie kind of makes me realize they're still pulling their punches in those other movies. And this movie is not. It wants to really repulse you. It, it wants to scare the shit out of me is what it wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. It does. And like you were saying, horror movie, I was saying this is a slasher film. In a ways, it really is a horror movie. Like when these characters are locked in like this building that's like shut down. Oh, siege! Totally got a siege. Yeah, yeah. got that lighting there, just perfect. Where it's kind of dim, but at the same time, enough light to see everything. Yeah, it's like, very horror. Up. Yeah, it's it's interesting because we've got the like you've got the first the build up to you know introduction to the band, and I agree with you. Like the way the movie it opens and introduces you to these characters is very intriguing. Again, that interesting kind of like very minimal dialogue, interesting storytelling style of just like, here you are, you're just with these characters now. And then, so there's that chunk of the movie. And then there's the initial, they're in the room. And then they're going to kill 80% of the characters. Like I was amazed how quickly once they started killing off characters that they blew through a whole bunch of them. Like, especially like the main four characters, because normally at least like normally one dies really quickly. But then if you only have four, generally you save the next three till you're very just about the end. Yeah. They started killing them off. Like the two first ones there went within minute, like not even minutes of each other, almost seconds Mm -hmm. of each other. Yeah, it was like pretty much seconds of each other. Yeah. Yeah. And then the the main girl, I think she died within two minutes, not two or three minutes after that. It wasn't wasn't terribly long after that. No. Yeah, no, they just start going through them. And then, of course, they started killing off the bad guys even almost as quickly. And mm-hmm. I thought that one of the females would make it. I didn't think it was going to be the sort of neo-Nazi girl. I thought it would be the main girl, part of the band. Really, only one band member actually survives. And he's the one that first got attacked. Yeah. 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 So no one escapes without harm. And kind of interesting. I'll be interested to hear your opinions. It's like a straight up horror movie for a good chunk of this movie. And then once it starts to get to daytime, Patrick Stewart's like, all right, you guys roll in, finish them off quick. Uh, I'm going to peace out, go deal with the bodies. And then they all kind of leave and leave a couple guys behind to deal with them and able to dispense of them in kind of horror film fashion of kind of doing a home alone, like using traps and tricks to take them out. And kind of interesting when they get out, it goes, it's only like 10 minutes left in the movie, but it's not the same theme in the movie, which might be good to go in a different direction. But at that point, the uh, hunted becomes the hunters and the main band member and the girl kind of hunt them down and take them out, which is kind of great. And I love the line. I forget what she says, but the neo-Nazi girl, she has a shotgun and he's like, shouldn't we call the cops to report the crime scene? She's like, we're going to go make a crime scene. And then they go out and take them out. And it's, it's pretty great. It goes, yeah, no, it starts off like, I mean, you've got like a suspenseful horror thing going on. And then anytime, because we do get a fair chunk of the movie from the point of view of the neo-Nazi group as they're dealing with the situation. And that's where it feels most like crime thriller to me. And then it goes revenge movie at the end. Yeah. Travis. Yeah. So the very ending that actually made me reminded me so much of the Punisher. So when it's the two people they get, they finally acquire guns and then they just go around and they almost go murder hobo. They just, they want to kill everyone in sight. 
they don't actually kill the main character of Blue Ruin. I forget his name already. Yeah. Um, they don't kill him. He actually goes and is the one who eventually calls the cops, but they go and pretty much murder all the other neo-Nazis in the area. And I loved it, all of it, right up until the very end. The moment they killed Patrick Stewart, I found it a little bit anticlimactic because, of course, he's the main villain. He's supposed to get a good death. I don't know if he really got a good death. He got an okay death. It was quick. I kind of liked the uh, blood effect of them shooting him in the head. It's like one shot of blood just coming out. It's not like they blew a chunk out of his head. It was a single bullet and blood shoots out. If any, just kind of crumbles to the ground. I kind of like that. I, again, it was, it was pretty good, but at the same time, I, I think it should have been drawn out at least a little bit more because he was that. the main villain. But everybody they killed up to that point, whether it was in the basement area or the with a, the dog handler and the other guy, everyone else up to that point, I just it reminded me so much of the Punisher. Yeah, I want to jump on that real quick. We kind of talked about it in the last movie already, but uh, it absolutely is anticlimactic when they kill Patrick Stewart. And I, it's, it's so quick and it's not because that the end of the movie, the last like 10 minutes or so, it does become this revenge thing. And it's the first time in the movie where you're like, well, at least some of these characters might get out of there and you start, it's so weird to say hope. I hope they kill these guys, but you know, a little bit of hope, I guess. So it builds up to that. And then when it's finally time to kill the big bad, it is very quick and very anticlimactic. And Patrick Stewart himself is just like, what? Like the character's just like, seems disappointed in the whole situation. And it's like, I actually really enjoy that. I think that, I think that was fully intentional. The part of the end that I don't care for is I think the bit where they set up where the guy couldn't think of the band is like his, uh, you know, stranded on an Island band or whatever. And then they have that moment at the end. I think that's a little cheese to kind of go out on the movie on that, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. I, I am fine with that. Cause it's like, all horror movies have a little bit of cheese. And also it's kind of like a character building thing from the beginning yeah, yeah. of the movie. So I'm okay with it, but I can see what you're saying. And I can kind of see what you guys are saying that it being a little anticlimactic, but I think that we're a little bit disappointed in that just because the rest of the movie is just so good and so intense. That's fair. And at the same time, I do believe like this, the whole thing is like, I could feel this being a real life scenario. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that, that at the ending, even though it was very anticlimactic, but at the same time, that could be a real world event as I see it in my mind, like that could easily happen. So I'm, I I can understand why they went that route. And even though that was cheese at the end where he finally figures out the name of his one band that he'd pick with him on on the Island, I did have a little respect for the girl, the new female lead at that point was just like, nobody cares i respect (laughs) yeah yeah i like that yeah that was good uh before we move on to making a cinematic universe i was just going to ask for any last thoughts i kind of said my Mm -hmm. piece uh i really enjoy the movie or my favorite thrillers uh oh did we do favorite scene real quick favorite scene oh that's good uh for me i like the scene before the movie really gets going, I really like the scene when we see them actually perform for a little bit and they do the uh, Nazis f- off song and they're just performing this in front of the neo-Nazi audience, kind of balls of steel. And I don't know, it's kind of a funny moment, but it's kind of interesting to see him perform and just kind of like give the middle finger to the audience. So my favorite scene personally, I believe it was the first death of the, the band members. 
where the kind of dirty blondish haired dude jumps out the window to escape. Oh, yeah. And it's kind of that ray of hope. It's like, okay, he's going to, he's going to get out the he window out, yeah. and he's going to make a run for it. And then he just starts getting stabbed and you're like, okay, he's dead. <laughs> and I, like, it was a little bit disappointing, but at the same time, it was just my favorite scene in the whole movie. Cause it got so much build up for me at that point. And then all of a sudden it just dropped off. Cause it's like, okay, they're not escaping. Hmm. Randall. Your scene there that you just pointed out, like that's such a good rundown of what it is about this movie I like to where it'll give you little moments of hope and then just like, oh, no, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) That is this. And I feel like that's kind of why the Patrick Stewart character gets killed off the way he does, because it's a little bit of like, yeah, revenge, revenge. Oh, no, he's dead. (laughs) (laughs) That's very fair. Yeah, that's true. Favorite scene. And by favorite in this situation, I'm going to say I hate it. It's so it's so horrible, but it's. It's when they're fighting the big guy and they finally like choke him out or kill him, break his neck or whatever. And then the chick, they're like, is he dead? Is he dead? And she takes the box cutter and cuts his gut and he doesn't react. She's like, yeah, he's dead. And I'm I'll only say favorite because that is the scene that will stick with me forever. It is so horrible and horrifying, but it's so impactful. It's like. There are a few movies that make me jerk my head away from the screen. This is one of them. You know, it actually, it wasn't her cutting his stomach open with the box cutter. It was the expression on her face when she did it because she almost looked happy. That she is what did, it's going to yeah. stick with she me forever. No. Yeah, her reaction. You get a sense of like, ooh, she's not right either, even though she's now kind of with our protagonists. Yeah, think about it. She was a badass character. She was a badass. A creepy, but badass. And that her facial expression at that moment in time is what will stick with me for the rest of my life. Oh, before I forget, I have to do my star rating on this one real quick. Green Room. I'm going to give Green Room. I'm going to give it four stars. I was looking back on Letterboxd and uh, I'd only give it three and a half when I first re- watched it. Maybe it was a little bit of like, ew, I can't wash this off. This is only getting three and a half. But uh, upon reflection, this is definitely four star. I think this goes four because I don't want to watch this again. Someday I might. And I think it's a great movie. It did have, whew, it's going to be a long time before I ever like have the desire to watch it again, though. That's fair. Okay. Cinematic Universe. Yes. Okay. So for people who are not familiar with this show, the whole premise of this podcast, this podcast exists to set up ridiculous conversations where we take these two movies that we've talked about and pitch an MCU-style cinematic, shared cinematic universe. Like we're going to launch... The most depressing franchise of all time out of Green Room and Blue Ruin. It won't be that depressing. I'd go watch it. Oh, Travis has a good cinematic universe pitch. Oh, does he? Okay. So here we go. So gentlemen, the movie studios, they're looking to amp up the grid a little bit. And uh, there's there's this uh, young, not so young, I think he's probably 50 now, whippersnapper named Jeremy Solner, who's been flying under the radar for far too long. So they picked up a couple of his properties to turn into the next revenge thriller cinematic universe. So how would you combine Green Room and Blue Ruin into one cinematic universe? All right. Travis and I have combined thoughts. Mostly Travis. Actually, Travis had a lot of good ideas. Travis, I'm going to let you take this way. This is mostly your ideas, but we got a pretty decent pitch here. All right. So even though I believe, as you told me, Green Room is the second movie made here. Yes. So Green Room is going to be where this franchise starts off. It is. It's going to be the Indiana Jones, the Temple of Doom. The one that we did, we thought was a sequel, but turns out it's a prequel for some reason. Green Room's a prequel. (laughs) It is. It is definitely a prequel. 
So it's going to start off with, of course, our uh, Mackin uh, or Macon Blair, uh, who plays a supporting role in Green Room and the main role in Blue Ruin. Yeah, so he starts off, of course, and he looks like a bit of a desk jockey. And I don't know what his job was before this, but he becomes a neo-Nazi and he becomes a neo-Nazi cleaner, more specifically. He cleans up after all their messes. He doesn't really do much killing or any killing, as far as I can remember. Did he say that he doesn't like killing or you said that someone said he was a desk guy before this? I want to say it was a potential line in the movie, but I can't really remember. It's been just that long and I'm just that drunk, <laughs> Fair enough. but it, I believe it was some sort of had some sort of desk job or something before this. He then got the pam. Oh, they said he was handing out pamphlets. So he was kind of like there, I guess, kind of advertiser, I guess for neo-Nazis. Oh, nice. That's what it was. That was the line. So he became an advertiser. Now he is almost a full fledged neo-Nazi and he's their cleaner. He cleans up after all their messes, but in my cinematic universe, after this movie, of course, there's been so much bloodshed in this entire movie. He's going to go to jail. And at the end of Green Room, they say for him to go to police, and he says he will report this to the police. Yes, he, he, he actually, I believe there's one scene where they were going to kill him when he's holding all of his cleaning supplies. He's like, please don't kill me. I'll happily go to jail or something along those lines. Yeah. He goes to the police, of course, goes to jail eventually because he was part of this group. He was helping and abating killing these teenage kids or 20 something year old kids. So he goes to jail and then so many years later he gets out. Of course he doesn't have a job. Nobody wants to hire an ex neo-Nazi. Come on. Would you really want to? Nah, not really. He becomes homeless. He moves into his sister's car. Bam. If it blue ruin starts cinematic universe, bam, we got it. So that's the start of our cinematic universe. It goes off to eventually, after all this is done, after he's finally learned how to kill, he's accepted killing. He then moves on and he, him and probably, I'm assuming these two teenagers that are left or 20 something year olds that are left team up and maybe just go on a killing spree. Word. <laughs> and that's where the next movie starts with those two people. Three. Because I believe there's the girl, the boy and the main character. Oh, the, word. Or him. Yeah. There we go. We got a movie. Yeah, that's our third movie of our <laughs> cinematic universe. We don't know where it's going to go from here, but we have high hopes. Hey, we got a better plan than that. Uh, what was it? Universal Monster Cinematic Universe. <laughs> right. That, that's right. also true. <laughs> so, what, well, we could try like five restarts. I'm okay with yeah, that. Yeah, we could do that too. <laughs> it's a better plan with far less invested. Oh, yes. Yeah. Word. I like God, the amount of money they must have lost on that whole deal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so true. All right, Randall. He's the obvious connection here. So that's 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 the way you got to go with this. I'm actually going to go ahead and I'm going to go the opposite direction. I'm going to flip it around. I'm going to say that Blue Ruin happened first. It, it seems like he dies at the end. I'm going to say he pulls through, though. He pulls through. What a twist. Right? What a, what a twist. He pulls through, but man... He's involved. He's connected to a whole lot of murders, so he's got to go in hiding. He may not really be that into the neo-Nazi ideals, but those guys don't ask questions, and there are not a lot of people that are going to hire people that are wanted for murder. So he goes into hiding and ends up working with this neo-Nazi group, living with them, being their cleaner. And, uh, yeah, so that's how we connect those two movies. Just to spice it up a little bit, I'm going to say, like... When he leaves at the end of Green Room, he doesn't go call the cops. 
why would he do that? <laughs> he's already wanted. He's going to be even more wanted. So then he's going to continue his journey. So he's basically, we're going to have a series of movies following this guy where he's kind of a schlubby, occasionally violent. It's like Kung Fu. He's just going to walk the earth. <laughs> Except instead of like Kung Fu adventures, he gets involved in horrible, violent, sloppy revenge adventures. Reventures. Reventures the movie. That's a good Reventures. He's the Revenger. Oh, the Revenger. All right. I would pay to see that just for the title. I'll pay for that more than the dark universe that Universal tried to do. Shh. We won't won't talk about that again. No one's going to talk about it again, is the thing. (laughs) That's also fair. (laughs) Hey, they might try it again. You never know. There's been a million restarts. There could be a million more. I can't believe. They made a cinematic universe and they kept going, no, the next one is going to be the actual start of it for like five different movies. Well, to be fair, I mean, I agree with you, but to be fair, they only did it once, but Marvel kind of did it. Technically, uh, that that the Edward Norton Hulk is a part of it, even though they kind of looked the other way after. But that's like if the Edward Norton Hulk, they also included the Ang Lee Hulk with that guy and also the Lou Frigno Hulk from the 60s. And they're like, they just kept including those as part of the universe. Dolph Lundgren Punisher. Yes. Actually, those could be included in the universe. No one would even notice. Yeah. Oh, beautiful. No, I like this universe. And uh, so which one do you like director. more? Or, I guess ours. <laughs> Uh, oh, I like I'm his gonna... title, The Revengers. All right, but I'll accept that. I will pay to go see that. It's a good title. We don't have a title for us. No, we didn't. In terms of plausibility, I like your guys' universe better, though. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, we'll combine the two. It will use your title then. Yes. The Revengers. <laughs> yeah. What, just, well, there's one... a way for him to live at the end of Blue Ruin. Though. Either that or we replace him with that kid that survives to the end. That one that oh, is his yeah. brother or not son, something has some sort of relation to him. I think it's brother, oh, half brother. Well, we're building on this because one thing that was going through my head, I was like, so basically my version of the cinematic universe is like, it's like Kill Bill, but it's kind of a frumpy, chubby white guy instead of, uh, you know, uh, Beatrix or whatever her name was. Yeah, Beatrix. Um, so along those lines, the kid... He's he's like the next generation in the saga. He's the uh, the daughter of Tyra Banks or whatever that she lets go. We save him for later in the franchise. So yeah, we'll save him him and those two twenty year old somethings from the band or yeah. the band and the other female, and we'll mm-hmm. send those three on an adventure from here. And the third movie directed by Quentin Tarantino is Inglorious Bastards Two. They go after more Nazis. <laughs> it's yeah. not called Inglorious Bastards; it's well, called the Revengers. More neo Nazis, not more Nazis. Yeah, whatever. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. This is great. I love this. All right. So we're just going to build this franchise from here then. We got this. Yeah, this is better than the DC universe, too. <laughs> a lot <laughs> it's better more than cohesive the somehow. one. <laughs> Hopefully, at least it's more successful. Yeah. And we're going to build this off movies are made for like half a million dollars. Yes. They're going to get their money back no matter what. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Oh, brilliant. I love this. I can't believe Blue Ruin was half a million. That's Man, that movie looks great. It looks very good, and I'm surprised they kickstarted the whole thing. That's impressive. Yeah, that's very impressive. Because yeah. I, I remember seeing the title screen and where it normally shows like the the 
like Universal Studios oh, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And it was just all these like small studios that I'd never heard of or just random names popped in there. I'm like, this is weird. Yeah. And then it got in the movie. I'm like, okay, definitely a low budget film. And then you hearing about it being Kickstarter, I'm like, this makes a bit more sense now. Yeah. Pretty impressive though. I guess what we could do is we could end the show with Duke It Out or Puke It Out. Oh, no. It's a show where you have to duke it out unless you puke it out. Uh, Trent's the only one who's been drinking, so he's the only one that can puss out and puke it out. And (laughs) the show is named because in the first episode of our very first season, uh, Travis puked all over my floor the first episode. I didn't even make it to puke it out. That was the problem. And then, therefore, we decided to name this section at the very end of the show, Duke It Out, Puke It Out. You have to duke it out unless you can puke it out. All right. Here's how it works. Travis knows how it works. 30-second opener, 15-second rebuttal, and we do it three times when I make up who wins. All right. So, first one. Randall, as the guest on our show, if you're watching this from Trash Talk, I guess, but also the guest to this format, would you like to go first or second on our first question? I want to go second. Second. All right. Travis, he is you get a smart first. man. Yeah. All right, <laughs> Travis. You got 30 seconds as we start talking. What movie, movie's world, would you most want to live in and why? Yeah, that's all right. Tough call. Yeah. You know what? I'm going to go with the Mad Max universe on this one. Ooh. All right. Go. I mean, I've loved it ever since I first saw it. I mean, yes, it's scary as hell. You're probably good. You're definitely going to die. But at the same time, it's a beautiful place. It's a beautiful madness. And of course, I love cars and there's car carnage everywhere. <laughs> That's fair. So and the characters like they might be incredibly like wacko and crazy and scary. But at the same time, they're interesting. And I love to look at them and see what they're going to do next. I would genuinely love to be a part of that universe. Uh, 29 seconds. Good timing. All right, Randall, 30 seconds. What movie universe or yeah, movie world or universe would you want to most live in and why? Hmm. <laughs> I'm going to lose this debate. Uh, what movie universe? All the most interesting universes would be terrible places to live in. I'm going to say wherever, uh, you know, Whatever time period Japan that the Zatoichi films are uh, set in, in because seconds go. Okay, because uh, yeah, it'd be you know if you're if you're a peasant like most of the people in the at the time, it'd be a terrible place to live in. But the countryside is beautiful, and you got cool dudes like Zatoichi roaming around or Yo, uh, Yojimbo because they did cross over, and uh, you just you just hang around them and hope you're not like. <laughs> Hope you're not the catalyst that kicks off the reason he has to kill a bunch of people because that probably means you died. Otherwise, you're like the lucky guy who gets to hang around till the end and you're like, don't leave, Zatoichi, don't leave. And stop. All right, Travis, (laughs) 15-second rebuttal to either buff up your original statement or attack his opinion. Go. All right, I have no idea who Zatoichi is, but this... (laughs) I mispronounced that terribly. Um, But this sounds like a classical Japan, a classical style Japan. Why would you want to live that? It's already happened. We've already seen it. We've already had it. As where you could live in a any universe. Stop. Crap. All right. Randall, 15 seconds to buff up your original statement or attack or defend Travis's pick. Or you would defend his pick. You defend yours from his attack. Or you attack him. Go. 
A little bit of both. Okay, at least there's water to drink in uh, feudal Japan. And yeah, it, it's kind of unpleasant there, but it's not just normal feudal Japan. Like, these movies definitely dive into the area of fantasy. So you've got, like, very over-the-top people, like, do almost superhero things. That's pretty cool. Sometimes. All right. Round two. All right. This time, Randall, you're going to start. Was a animated movie from the last 10 years... That is the best. I should have said, what is the best movie from the last 10 years that's an animated movie? So think about a video of 30 seconds to go. Um, okay. Okay. Uh, I just have to go with the the first one that pops to my mind, and I'm going to say Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse because it's fun, it's ridiculous, uh, action-packed. Um, stylistically, it's kind of amazing. And, uh, you know, it, it's from... What is it? Sony? It shouldn't work. Or was that Fox? No, that's still Sony, right? Uh, it shouldn't work, but it does. All right. 17 seconds. I uh, get bonus points because I love Spider-Man and Spider-Verse. One of my favorite movies, and it's great. And you're right. How did a Sony movie be good? Because they I animated know. it. <laughs> I, I guess, but they animated the Moji movie, too. Oh, oh, oh yeah. Well, that's that from the start. <laughs> <laughs> Travis. That's right. anime movie for the last 10 years. Ooh, okay, we are going to go with DC on this one, and we are going to go with the original Suicide Squad because oh. it is absolutely everything that the should have the live action Suicide Squad. I am mispronouncing everything. Suicide Squad, Suicide Squad <laughs> movie should have been, but so much better. It is beautiful. It is amazing. The characters are interesting. They use, I believe, King Shark, Harley Quinn, Deadshot. So many interesting characters. So many, like, kind of stories, but they're all combined into one. And they kind of, like, mix them. And it works so well. And, of course, they have to fight off a villain because, you know, they're superheroes slash supervillains. Yeah, stop. All right. That was 30 seconds. Randall, 15 seconds. Buff up your little statement or tr attack Travis's pick of the Suicide Squad animated movie. The original one. If it's the one I'm thinking, well, I mean, Suicide Squad is appropriately, sure, it should be a little trashy, but if I recall correctly, that one seems super trashy. In terms of, like, DC animated films that came before it, man, it's just not as good. All right. That's all I got. Short and sweet. All right. Travis, 15 seconds. Go. I mean, honestly, there's nothing bad I can say about uh, Spider-Man in the Spider-Verse, so I'm just going to say... At the same time, maybe it's trashy, but at the same time, it probably should have been trashy. Like, it is the Suicide Squad. They're partially villains. They should be a little bit trashy, but they also can be kind of comical and really awesome. And stop. That's the All right. Stick. And into our third and final section, event I'll unveil who won each round. All right. Into our third and final one. All right. We're going to go with in themes of... Green Room and uh, Blue Ruin, which we watched for this episode. What is your favorite revenge-themed movie? Revenge-themed movie in any way. And this time, we're going to start with Travis. Uh, so, as long as revenge for whatever uh, Kill Bill's option, John Wick, movies like that... Doesn't okay. even have to be with violence, but as long as revenge is a theme of the movie, is it okay? Um, or it could be a show too. Okay. Or an um, anime if you're a weebo. Fair enough. <laughs> uh, revenge. That's a tough call. There's a lot to choose from. Um, 
Nothing is popping into my mind. Not going to lie. Oh, you got five seconds. That sucks. Five, four, three, two, one. Randall, name a revenge movie. Okay, I feel better about blinking so hard on my, on the first question for me. Okay, I don't think this is necessarily even the best revenge movie, but this is one of my favorite movies that's also a revenge movie. I'm going to go with uh, Drive. I'm just a sucker for that movie. I don't even know if I can def- defend it that well. I love that movie. It's it's a uh, crazy slow burn set to synth wave uh, where the main characters pretty much just stare at each other. But I love it, and I love the climax at the end with the, he's wearing the mask that, like, a driver double mask, and it's so weird, and it's well shot. I Yeah, Drive. Love it. Drive is terrific. I love that movie. Travis, have you come back with a revenge movie? You know, still nothing's coming to mind, but I guess we're going to go Fast and Furious 7. <laughs> Fast and Furious 7, okay. Yes. Okay. What's the revenge in that movie? They're revenging Han, because they're going after, what was it, Shaw's brother? Oh, uh, is it bloody Jason Statham who kills yeah. him or whatever? Yes. Interested? Okay. All right. I never thought that movie was a revenge movie, but I guess that makes sense. Technically it technically is. is. It, it is. All right. Uh, go. All right. So beautiful cars, interesting characters. Yeah, maybe the story is not the greatest, but at the same time, they spent a lot of hard work and hours on it. And like, absolutely, just like some of the scenes are so incredible, where, like where they're jumping a car from one skyscraper to a next. Like, it's not possible, but at the same time, it's interesting, and, and you never get bored. I took uh, 10 seconds off your total amount because you couldn't come up with something at the beginning, so you got 20 seconds. But you got a good amount in for 20 seconds. Alright, we got two car revenge themed movies. So, that's pretty good. Randall, your final 15 seconds. Are you ready? And go. Yes. All right. Well, they they spent a lot of time and a lot of hard work went into the Titanic, but that ship still sank. Uh, drive, <laughs> I lo- drive. I love it. Uh, Fast and Furious. Haven't bothered with any of them past the third one, and I don't even know I got why I got that far in. Oh, <laughs> thirteen seconds. That's not even. That's not even a rebuttal. That's just being crappy. But whatever. <laughs> Travis, you got fifty seconds. How are you gonna one up that? All right. So to be fair, I've never seen Drive. And to be honest, I don't know why I watched past the fourth one in Fast and Furious, but I did watch them. I own them. I absolutely no, I don't. I don't love it. You didn't watch the eighth one. What? You didn't watch the eighth one. Yeah, and I'm surprised I watched past the fourth. Wow. All right, and stop. All right. In the biggest comeback, Randall takes the series. Travis won round one, and then Randall stormed back to take round two, and Travis flubbing up. He grabs round three, too, so Randall is our winner for this week's Duke It Out, Puke It Out. All right, good stuff. And that is our episode. That was a good episode. Yeah, for our podcast, Trash Talk Podcast, you'll find us on most podcasting platforms, including Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. And follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter to stay up with the newest uh, news for Trash Talk Podcast. And please follow Randall's podcast at the places he's about to tell us where you can listen to his podcast. Yeah, check out more Grolix Cinematic Universe. Go to GrolixPodcast.com. It's G-R-A-W-L-I-X Podcast.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at GCU Podcast or uh, Twitter, Facebook, pretty much anywhere else. Throw a slash Grolix Podcast and we're probably there. And of course, all the podcasts podcatchers podcast directories uh apple stitcher all that stuff and i want to thank you guys for one having me on and two being on being on being on gcu both both ways yeah oh this has been a lot of fun i enjoyed this 
yeah, thank you for allowing us to be on your podcast, and also thank you for coming in onto our podcast. Dude, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Yeah, it was very fun. I enjoyed talking cinematic universes and reviewing these movies. I was always trying to find a way to get Green Room in, but now thanks to this episode, I was able to watch something else by the director. So that was fun, and uh, it was a good Duke out and puke it out. I love your line of uh, just because they built a Titanic, it's still sunk anyway. <laughs> I couldn't help it. First, okay, first off, I want to say, like, yeah, Fast and Furious franchise for me, that's just, like, I don't know. It's because it's, it's, it's a big, dumb franchise. It's so, it's such easy, like, dumping territory for me. But, like, not to shame anybody for watching it, but he said, that he, 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 as soon as he said the line, you know, like, you know, they put a lot of work and effort into it, <laughs> that popped in my head. And I'm like, oh, that's gold. It's mean, but it's gold. <laughs> that was good. No, that was beautiful. I love that. And honestly, I genuinely couldn't think of anything. So that's why I went with that. You one. should have gave, used one of my examples of I know John I sh- Wick. I should have, but I didn't want to because you said them. Oh, that's fair. Simply would you have thought of them if I didn't say them? Maybe not. Okay. Like, I was literally having a hard time because I was drawing such a hard blank on this one. Yeah. All right. Let's say goodbye to the audience. Uh, thank you for listening to the Trash Talk portion, but also to Randall's section, too. Yeah, thank you for listening to the Grolic Cinematic Universe. And thank you guys once again. Oh, yeah, no problem. Thank you very much. All right. We'll talk to the audience of whatever podcast you're listening to us on next time. subject Travis to four pieces of fake, not fake news, real news, except one of those is actually, was it fake? I'm drunk. Oh my god, I had too much vodka in this <laughs> it's, movie. It's three pieces of fake news. One of them is, one of the four is real, and we have to try to guess which one. If we do not guess right, I take a drink. If we do guess right... No, you got that wrong. Four of them are news, three of which are real, and one of which is false. Yeah, I did get that. Okay, I did the other... God damn. We're going to screw this up so bad. I love it. This is great.